This morning I titled my message, Adventus. Not Adventist, but Adventus. First time I have ever used a Latin word for my sermon title. And we do have a young lady in here that I think is studying some Latin, is that correct? So could you tell us what Adventus means? No? It's coming? It's coming? Her learning's coming? I know. <laughs> I'm having fun. It means coming. It means coming. As we begin, you know, what has become a tradition in many churches, I thought it would be a good idea to look at the roots of what we call the Advent season. To look at the roots of it. How it began. Of course, you've probably figured from the title, uh, you know, what that, what that means. Advent. There's not a lot of difference between our English word and, of course, and the Latin word. Um, and it does simply mean coming. It is a translation of the Greek word parousia. So several words that mean coming. And my wife was a little stressed out that we didn't get the Christmas tree up this week out here. But I'm glad that we didn't because it goes well with my message. Advent, the Advent season. We have the Advent wreath up with the candles. And what is that all about? It's about focusing on Christ. That simply is what it, focusing on Christ. So our focus is here. It's on His coming. I know the Christmas tree has other meanings, but for most of us, traditionally, what do we, we, we symbolize that Christmas tree and the presents under it, right? We need, oh, we're going to get presents come Christmas Day. But without that here, our focus is on this Advent season that we're in. And that focus is to only be on Christ. Not the gifts that we're going to get, but on Christ, Christ alone. Scholars believe that during the fourth... I'm going to get to my scripture here in a little bit. I have a lot of stuff to share beforehand. Scholars believe that during the fourth and fifth centuries in Spain and Gaul, that Advent was a season of preparation for baptism of new Christians at the January Feast of Epiphany. So, that's what they celebrated. That's what Advent was to them. It was a celebration of God's incarnation represented by the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus, also His baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and His first miracle at Cana. During this season of preparation, Christians would spend 40 days in penance, prayer, and fasting to prepare for this celebration. So originally, the Advent season had little connection with Christmas. Yes, the Magi coming, but that was well after Christ's birth in the manger. By the 6th century, however, Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ. But not the coming in the manger in Bethlehem. They tied it to His second coming in the clouds to judge the world. It was not until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas time. Not until the Middle Ages. And not all churches recognize or celebrate the Advent season. Not all do. Uh, some kind of thought that that was, that, you know, they're, they're moving away from anything that had to do with Catholic because they thought it was a Catholic tradition. 
So many moved away from it for that reason. They wanted to side with the Puritans. I even did research, did Baptists traditionally worship, or, you know, celebrate the Advent season. And ironically, they did not for a number of, number of years or centuries, whatever you want to say. But in the modern era of the church, of course, Baptists uh, have the ability to say, we'll let you choose how, whether you want to celebrate it or not. You know, you're independent. You can celebrate if you want. But the Southern Baptists, not too many years in the past, said, you know, it is a time when it is the church is to focus. These four weeks before Christmas, the central focus is Christ. So that cannot be a bad thing. So they encourage the churches to celebrate it. Many churches celebrate the Advent season and look at it not only as a time of prayerful expectation and remembering Christ's first coming in the manger, but also to make sure we focused on His second coming. I kind of like the idea of incorporating both, that we must remember that He came the first time, but we also must look forward with anticipation and preparation for the second coming. Keep our focus on Christ. It cannot be a bad thing. So I decided that I'm going to incorporate maybe the first two Sabbaths looking at the second coming and then the next two looking at looking back and remembering His birth. So join me in our scripture lesson today from Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Probably my shortest scripture lesson, but don't worry, there's plenty of other scripture. Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus had been witnessed after his resurrection by over 500 people. They seen that he was alive, that he's come back from the dead, and he ministered, how many days? Was it 50 days? And then he was ascended. So the disciples were there with him and the cloud received him up out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men by them in white, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, we do praise you and magnify you. We thank you for your, for your holy word. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word to learn about your relationship with each and every one of us. We thank you, Father, that your spirit guides us and gives us that understanding. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to, to focus on Christ, as we focus on his second coming, Father, give us the understanding. Help us to, to be ready, to be prepared, to expect that to anticipate that. Father, may we long for that day. But Father, while we wait, may we be faithful. May your spirit guide us and direct us. May your name be glorified today. May your spirit just touch our hearts and our minds with what you have for us today. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same manner, we know that there was two angels standing and saying, Why are you gazing into heaven? Because He's coming again. My friends, that is a promise. Because I believe God's word to be true. 
I believe it is faithful. And there is a promise that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back in those clouds the same way that He was taken up. The same way that He was taken up. He will return. You know, whether it's a cloudless day when He comes back or it's a cloudy sky and the clouds roll back, He is coming back. The important thing is that we are focused on that, that we are ready for that, that we are prepared. Because He will come back a second time. We know that the first time He came as a lamb. But when He comes back the second time, He will come as a Lion of Judah and bring judgment upon the earth. You know, when people think about Christ's second coming, for some, that brings delight into their hearts, into their being. They delight in that because they think, yes, Lord, I can't wait till You come back because I'll be delivered from this body that has aches and pains and suffering. That you will be delivered from this evil world that we live in. Look around today. We can see so much of it. So some delight in that. Because evil will be done away with. We'll have a new body. A glorified body. And it will be a place where He reigns and rules. There will be no evil. But some it brings fear. It brings fear into their hearts. They dread that day. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm scared. I'm fearful of what that will be. But others are completely indifferent to it. Unconcerned. Unconcerned about that day. They don't even want to talk about it or think about it. But those that are unconcerned or those that deny Him when that day comes, they will wish they would have prepared their hearts. They wish they would have prepared. Revelations. Revelation. I always have a tendency to add an S on the end of there. Revelations chapter 6. That won't be on the screen. Verses 12 through 17. It says, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its leaves when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll and is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves and in the rocks and in the mountains." And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come and who is able to stand. For those that are unprepared, they'll cry for the mountains to fall on them and the rocks to fall on them to hide them from the great wrath of the Lamb. In the last days, many will criticize believers for putting their faith and their hope and their trust in Him. They'll scoff and say, where is His return? In 2 Peter 3, 1-4, through it says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust 
and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is His promise coming? Indeed, where is it? Some might say, well, you know, I really myself thought that He'd come back years ago. Some might say that. Some might think, well, it is very near. I believe it's very near. But Matthew 24, 36 reminds us, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father alone. I find this part amazing, that the Son does not even know. There's many things. I don't know that there's anything else that the Father has withheld from the Son. He's given Him all power, wisdom, and knowledge, but even the Son does not know what day, what hour the Father's going to say, it is done, return. Awesome. So how could we possibly know? Some may look at what appears to be a delay in His second coming as a reason to doubt. But friends, for me it reveals God's mercy. It reveals God's long-suffering. It reveals His perfect timing. Remember that God says that a day is as a thousand years, as a thousand years as a day. That's in also in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My friends, that is the heart of God. Do you know that? That is the heart of God, that all should come to repentance. That's His desire. It's not His desire that any would perish. So He is being long-suffering, given more time for more people to come. But with that in mind, it's only been a couple days, right? It's only been a couple or a few days. There was a little boy named Charlie. He was praying one day, asking all the prayers that a young child would normally ask. You know, watch over mommy and daddy and keep us all safe and bless our family. But he says, God, I have a couple questions I'd like to ask. Well, to his great surprise, an audible voice says, Yes, Charlie, what is it? What would you like to know? He's like, Wow. Well, God, he says, What is a day? Or back up, what is a minute like to you? Well, Charlie, God's wanting to put this in a way a little boy can understand. Well, Charlie, a minute to me is like a million years. Oh. Well, God, what is a penny? like to you well Charlie again a penny to me is like a million dollars to you well God could you give me one of your pennies God says well of course in a minute <laughs> in a minute we think God is delaying but he is gracious he is kind he is long-suffering it may be another million years. I don't know. It might be another thousand. It could be next week. 
He could come back any minute. The important thing is that we follow the angel's advice. That we don't stand around gazing up into heaven. That we don't fall asleep. That we must be about His business. We must be about the work of His kingdom. It goes along with Sabbath school. Be about the work of His kingdom. We must be prepared for the advent of Christ. The second coming of Christ. There's a parable that speaks of Christ's return. It's actually longer than my scripture lesson at the beginning. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. My friends, who is the ones that went out to wait? They're waiting for the bridegroom. It represents the church. They all slumbered and slept. Church, wake up. Right? Wake up. It's time to get out of our slumber. Sometimes I think the church is the great sleeping giant. We need to wake up. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. My friends, what is the most important lesson there? That each and every one had to be responsible Responsible for their own vessels. Responsible for their own vessels. Be responsible for it. You cannot enter in on someone else's salvation. You can't enter in on someone else's good works. We can't enter in by our good works anyway. We are responsible for our own vessel, our own salvation. We ourselves must repent and believe on Him. Some commentators say that the lamps here that Jesus used in this parable would not be the types of lantern that we might think of with the oil vessel and the wick and stuff. They say that it may have been like a stick or a rod with cloth wrapped around it and you dip it in oil and let it burn. Well, I'm going to tend to disagree with the commentators here. Because did not Jesus say that they awoke, trimmed their wicks, Trim their wicks. So I believe, I want to use the one that I feel that was meant here. That it was a container, a vessel, whether it had been glass or, you know, as a parable. But it's representing something. It represented something that held the oil. You'd put the oil into, it had a wick. You'd light that lick and it would give light. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, my wife's grandfather, we called him Pat, Pat Mulligan. He collected antiques and for many, many, many years. Uh, if you would have seen his basement and even the house, 
so many antiques there. He had all kinds of antique tools, you know, levels and planes and various things. Uh, he loved to collect antiques. He would get them and refinish them, redo them. But one of his specialties was lamps. Lamps, oil lamps. He had, I don't even care, want to guess how many lamps over the years. But he would collect these lamps, clean them up, fix them, whatever. So you would have the glass vessel there you put the oil. You had the little knob you'd turned that would raise the cloth, cloth wick up. And you'd have the chimney. And then you had the pretty globe, the, the, or the pretty covering that went around the chimney. Some of them were beautiful. And we had one, and we would use it once in a while. So what did I learn from this? You would light that wick, and, and then you would put the chimney down over it, and that would help dispense the light, and you had the pretty globe. But once in a while, you had to raise that wick up, trim off all the black stuff that got all over it. Because if you did not trim that wick, it would start spewing out black smoke. Then the chimney would get dark, filthy on the inside, and it wouldn't dispense the light as it should. You see where I'm going? We are the vessel. We are the light. It takes work. It takes effort. I'm going to get more into that. But there's work involved. You must trim that wick. You must keep that Vessel full with oil, filled with oil. The main context is to keep the light burning, to stay awake. Matthew 5.14 says that you are the light of the world. Church, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Is your light still burning? How brightly is your light burning? I pray that it's burning bright. In Exodus, God gave instructions for keeping a light burning in the tabernacle. Exodus 27, 20 and 21. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil of pressed olive for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. And it shall be a statute forever in their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. My friends, that required discipline, didn't it? Every day they would have to go in and tend to the lambs. Effort. Effort had to be put into it. They had to, had to ensure. Now the, the, the children of Israel brought the oil, but they had to ensure that the oil was added to keep the lamp burning continuously. Think about that. It was more than just to provide light for the tabernacle. Because it was burned day and night. It was a symbol of the presence of God. That He was always there. Always with them. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Acts chapter 2, what was a symbol? Divided tongues of fire upon each one. Fire, light. Matthew said, we, are the, we the church are that light. If we are born again, then we are the temple of God. And His Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the vessels that must be kept burning continually. Continually, night and day. Just as Aaron and his sons kept the light burning. We must keep the light burning. How do we do that? 
How do we keep that fire from going out? How do we keep that light shining brightly? With the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. First, by studying the Word of God. Pouring in. Pouring in to this vessel. Keeping that vessel full with the Word. That which gives light. By worship. By fellowship with like-minded believers. Surrounding yourself with the people of God. I'm going to ask a tough, hypothetical question. Because I already revealed the Scripture. says no man knows the day nor hour. But if somehow God informed the entire church, remember, hypothetical, informed every single believer that the coming of Christ is going to be five days from now. No doubt about it, it's five days from now. What would you do for those five days? Secondly, what changes would you make in your life in those five days? Hopefully everyone's response, I'm not going to, please don't shout it out. <laughs> Hopefully everyone's response in here, here in their heart is going to be, I'm going to go inform every unsaved person that I know. First family, right? We're going to rush and tell them, man, the Lord is coming back. I know it. Get your hearts ready. Believe on Him. I'm going to go to neighbors, friends, anyone that I know that is unsaved, and I'm going to tell them about Christ. He's coming again. I'm going to follow that up with, well, how do you know it's not going to happen in the next five days? So ought we not to be about that business? Then on the part about change. If there is something in our lives that we know that we probably should not be doing, well, I better get rid of that because it's coming back in five days. Well, then you need to get rid of it anyway. There's something you should be doing. Do it. So either get rid of it and stop doing it if you thought Christ was coming back in five days, so you need to get rid of it or stop doing it now. Because we don't know the day nor the hour, but we know for sure that He is coming again. We must be prepared for that time. You know, I know that we live in this world that we have to make a living. Our cars won't run on air. Our Children do like to eat, and we like to eat too, so that food doesn't just magically appear in our refrigerators and our cabinets. We do like to have clothes to keep us warm when this weather turns cold, to cover our nakedness. But is Christ the center of our lives? And all this other stuff, our work, our lives, all that, is it just stuff that revolves around Christ at the center or do we have something else at the center of our lives and Christ is just mixed in with all that other stuff? I can't answer that for you. But is Christ at the very center of your lives? Advent is that time to remind us that we focus on Him. Focus on His soon return. Focus that He is coming again. That we keep our lights burning bright to be continually prepared for His coming. 
Has that chimney gotten filled up with stuff? That glass chimney that goes over that oil lantern. Has it gotten dark? Do we need to take it off and clean the inside so that the light will shine bright? That's our lives. Has it been spewing out any of that dark, sinful stuff? Do we need to get it cleaned out? We can do that by repenting. Lord, forgive me. I have become slothful. That's a word that was mentioned in Sabbath school. Forgive me, Lord, for my slothfulness. Lord, fill me anew. Fill me anew with Your compassion, Your love, Your mercy. Help me to be that light on a hill shining brightly. Psalms 119.148 says, My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on Your Word. There are many passages in the Psalms where David reveals that he meditated upon the Word of God. He loved the commandments of God, the statutes of God. He meditated on them often, filling his vessel with the Word of God so that his light would shine brightly. My friends, that is the most encouraging thing we can do. Fill, fill, fill ourselves with the Word of God, with his precepts, his statutes, his commandments, that we can be that light that others would see in us. May they see it, as we talk about our Sabbath school, in our actions. Not just the words that we speak, but in the things that we do with our lives, with our hands and our feet, that we help others. Lead them. Lead them to that light. Let's get this light cleaned up that the world can see it. To see a clean and bright light. Not one that is hazy and covered up with that darkness. But they need to see the difference. They need to see the brightness. And we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit and His Word and His power. Amen.